It takes more than great Unitest-friendly, thread-safe, singleton design pattern skills to be a great engineer. This is Soft Skills Engineering, episode 122. I'm your host, Dave Smith. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice show for soft develop... For... (laughs) (laughs) See, that sounds like a concurrency error to me. (laughs) I think you are speaking on two threads at once. (laughs) Oh, core dumped. (laughs) Oh... So much segmentation fault. <laughs> Whew. Anyway, what is this show? It's a weekly advice show for software developers about non-technical topics and occasional core dumps. Awesome. I, I can it. tell a programming language you've been writing just from reading <laughs> your jokes. <laughs> Elm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Space Elm. Elm. Elm from the year 2025 or something. <laughs> Where they're like, you know what? You know what was good? Threads and singletons and <laughs> enterprise factory beans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, EFBs, enterprise oh, factory beans. There are gonna be there are gonna be programming language hipsters that are gonna write in like 1999 Java and <laughs> talk about how close to the metal it was and <laughs> how close to the metal. That'll be a th- how close to the virtual metal it was. <laughs> I only use apps that were written in SWT. <laughs> Back when there was only one VM instead of 18,000 stacked on top of each other. (laughs) Anyways, we have some patrons to thank. Thank you so much to all of these fantastic folks who are donating at the level where we shout them out every single episode. Thank you to Zach Grannon, David Jackson, Dustin Coates, Nick Cantor, Demetro and Neonilla, Sean Clayton, and Ken Howard. You all are fantastic. And everyone else that is listening and supporting the show, you're fantastic too. That's right. And if you'd like to support the show, go over to softskills.audio and click... Click the button that says support us on Patreon. You can contribute as little as a buck a month. So Dave, we got stickers. They look awesome. Yeah. Dave is brave and helpful and tweeted, hey, if you send us a haiku, I will mail you a sticker. <laughs> yep. Which, more power to you. That sounds like a lot of errands to run, but you care about our listeners more than I do, I guess. But <laughs> I just, we, we got no, some I, awesome haikus. I just really like haikus. <laughs> oh. Is this Has this been a long play? <laughs> Yes. Step one, start a podcast. Three to four years later, it will result (laughs) in haikus. You'll literally have a dozen haikus to read. (laughs) Yeah. We have some great ones. Do you want to read some of them? There were so many. Uh, Here's one I particularly liked. Also, it's hard to say haikus out loud. So, because like the funny thing about them is you know where the line breaks are, right? And when I read, Mm -hmm. I'll just have to insert line breaks, I guess. Okay. Okay. Here goes. Seek wisdom and truth. Grow strong, grow strong, and fight the good fight. Get another job. (laughs) (laughs) That's so on message. (laughs) Oh, what a good one. Thank you so much. Keep them coming. Send Dave more haikus. He will send you stickers. I will. All right. Do you want to read our first question? I do. This is from an anonymous listener. Is it just me, or do systems like Jira and TFS get managers to go crazy on process? We have TFS, and management has created a convoluted mess of process that takes forever to learn and gets changed on a whim to be replaced by an even more convoluted process. Every time I finish a large feature and need to merge it in, I have to run around asking 10 people what changed about the process since there are all sorts of permission denied or other strange error messages. In my previous job... It was the same with Jira and Jenkins. As an engineer, do managers really need all these crazy processes that get in the way? Or am I a naive engineer who doesn't really understand the value of these processes? (laughs) You're not enlightened. Write us a haiku about TFS (laughs) and Jira and Jenkins. So I had to ask Dave what TFS was. 
yes the team foundation server right yes is this a is this like a ci tool from microsoft or something i have no idea what it is but i know it's from microsoft well the question asker mentions it in a way that makes it sound like it's something like that well he put it in the same sentence as jira so <laughs> they they've probably spent a billion dollars marketing tfs <laughs> and you're seeing the, the outcome i've heard of mm -hmm. it i don't know what it is <laughs> that was money well spent sponsor the show we'll get the word out about tfs <laughs> Uh, yeah. So feeling some, some process frustrations, it feels like there are two levels. One is the frustration just about how convoluted it is. And then the other level is frustration about it changing all the time. Right? Yes. Although if it were simple and changed all the time, I guess that would still be frustrating. Yeah. We're going to go from this really lightweight, simple process to this other really lightweight, simple process. <laughs> it's like, how do you never hear that? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. In fact, I've, oh, go ahead. I think simple lightweight processes like you you don't really hear about people replacing them with anything but heavyweight processes right like they it's like this entropy processes only get heavier mm, that's deep it's monotonic yeah there's probably also some wisdom in somewhere in in the fact that anyone who says their process is simple and lightweight like you describe all heavyweight processes as simple and lightweight. Yeah. <laughs> no one's going to be like, we've got this really gnarly, convoluted, in intensely specific process that really helps us be productive. <laughs> <laughs> it's very simple. It also probably depends on who, it, who's telling you about the process and what role they had in implementing it. Yeah. Everyone who implements it is like, I've created this genius, simple process. <laughs> it's so simple. I mean, I wrote it down in 15 pages. <laughs> it's like it's like protocols every time you read a protocol and it has the word simple in it uh, it's not simple uh, right example soap simple object <laughs> access protocol the spec is yeah. like hundreds of pages long once you understand those all it becomes illuminated <laughs> simple maybe that describes how much you have to simplify your life so that you have enough time to understand <laughs> it and be effective in it. It's like a forcing function. Yep. Have you ever worked somewhere or, well, how about this? Have you been involved in implementing a non-simple heavyweight process? Well, I did used to be a government contractor. <laughs> so I guess in broad terms, maybe? We did, uh, we did CMM level three, CMMI. That's capability maturity models right? yes yes that's right can you talk about what that means uh no i cannot i <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like some as i understand it very vaguely it's a list of things you have to do to be at each level and they're increasingly specific and demanding increasingly sort of. heavy-handed <laughs> yeah i think what what i remember from the trainings was that i expected them to have some notion of engineering best practices like don't write code this way or you'll cause, you know, a plane to crash, you know. But really what it ended up being was uh, way more on the front end. Like, okay, here's how you manage the requirements documentation. And here's how you like have a requirements verification traceability matrix. And, you know, make sure that your system design traces back to your requirements. And oh, man. What a brisk, lightweight word. Traceability matrix. <laughs> That just communicates speed to me, <laughs> efficiency. I So I've definitely implemented processes. I don't think I've ever implemented things I considered were heavyweight, 
But it's possible that not. I have done things that seemed heavyweight to other people <laughs> because they weren't <laughs> their idea. I, I Have you heard the phrase process is scar tissue? Mm, no, but, I, but it immediately rings true. Someone did a dumb thing once and now PCI exists. Somebody's yeah. <laughs> credit card data got stolen, right? Or, or somebody broke the build and pushed it out. Yellow, yellow hat on to <laughs> prod and lost customer data, and now you have these these complex production deployment checks or something like that. Yeah, I feel like it's worthwhile to distinguish between maybe I'll invent some terminology or or co-invent it. I'm sure it already exists, but it feels like there's this idea of like additive and preventative process where hmm. um, running integration tests in CI feels like additive process where it adds value and it it helps you make sure the build doesn't break in an automated way and I don't know that feels that feels good to me even though it does add some process but but like only deploy at 4 a.m. on Thursday mornings feels like preventative process where it's like we we want to stop something from happening that could be bad instead of enable more value I guess mm. and I feel like most processes that seem heavyweight feel that way to me because it's about stopping me from doing things, not enabling me to do more things. Like if we run CI and our test suite is really good, then I feel like I can I can be lazier, right? I can I can be more confident in deploying my changes because I feel like we have these automated tools to help out with them. But if I have to like I don't know, carve a snowflake out of out of ice and then mail it <laughs> across the country and then it goes into this slot and then that gets grants me like one deploy token. <laughs> then that sucks if i write you a haiku will you carve a snowflake and send it to me yeah <laughs> i will <laughs> i think one of the one of the frustrating parts about following processes like that is because you don't see the value like the value is in what didn't happen by following the process so like if you follow the process then prod won't burn down Right. Yeah. And so you follow the process. Prod didn't burn down, but you don't really celebrate prod not burning down, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's like there's like no reward system there. Yeah. I, I like what you said about you don't see it. I think that's a huge problem with processes that they often get imposed on people without the reasoning or understanding. I'm sure it happens, but it feels like most of the time processes are not just imposed for their own purpose. There's mm -hmm. some problem or need that people are trying to address and the way that they've decided to do it is some checkbox in JIRA or whatever. And like there's a thing that they're trying to do. Often the reasoning does not come along with that checkbox. You just see a new required checkbox show up. You try and close a ticket and it doesn't close. And then you have to go check this field. And you don't know what any of the options mean, so you just pick one at random. Like, <laughs> I hope this doesn't get somebody fired and then keep on with your day. Mission accomplished. Yep. <laughs> that process architect would be proud. Yeah. I was thinking like a minute ago, we were talking about how processes rarely get simpler. They usually get only more complex. And I, for some reason, this metaphor of rock climbing just jumped in my head. And I was thinking, what if you're a rock climber and you use like seven ropes, right? And you think to yourself, maybe I could get rid of one of these ropes, but how will I know if I can actually get rid of it? Well, you won't know until you do, and then you don't fall and die. <laughs> right so you get rid of one and then you the process repeats you're like well now i have six ropes maybe i can get rid of one of them and you do and you're, you're still fine and then but eventually you're going to get rid of the last rope you know and you're yeah. going to fall and die so in other words the only way to simplify a process is to take a risk 
right? Like there's a risk that something bad will happen. And the only way to know if our process really won't cause that bad outcome is by trying to go without it. And sometimes you don't even know for a while, like in the rock climbing metaphor, maybe you don't, you're holding onto the rocks with your hands. You don't need that rope. And then you, you let go with your hands on accident and boom, you fall and die. Yeah. But that was like three months after you decided to start climbing without ropes. (laughs) It sounds like the human version of the egg drop experiment where you, you, uh, you see how high you can drop an egg from without it cracking. You like build a bunch of contraptions around contraptions around it. Did you ever do that in elementary school? Oh, Built some little cage out of marshmallows or something. (laughs) I did it as a senior in high school. Oh. Now, you, you can either think Dave was severely delayed <laughs> or Dave had an awesome physics class. <laughs> Dave's marshmallow cage was a piece <laughs> of extreme engineering. <laughs> you have no idea. I'll tell you sometime. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's a really interesting idea. It, it does seem like there are plenty of incentives to always add more. It's also... It's an easy solution, or it can appear to be an easy solution to the problem that doesn't require this difficult communication of shared meaning or understanding. If we go to the rock climbing metaphor, if just adding another rope, it's not going to slow you down that much, right? Like there's a little bit more weight and you got to manage it. I don't know. I don't rock climb, but it seems like it'd be a pain in the butt to kind of finagle it around and keep track of it while you're climbing. But it's not that much more if you already have seven and, <laughs> and it's hard to recognize the cost of it. And, and the benefit seems pretty clear. Like, yep, we're even less likely to die. <laughs> um, we have 47 and, required Jira fields. Like, yeah. So what? One more? It's like yeah, two, 48 2%. is, yeah, 48 is not going to kill us. Don't worry. And, and that's way easier than having, than telling the entire company, like, listen, we need for compliance reasons to keep track of this information in these ways, just make it required. And then they have to put something there. And then six months later, you find out that everyone put the first option and then, <laughs> Hope, hope somebody doesn't notice or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what that would be. But it, it, process can scale in ways that communication does not, right? You send someone mm-hmm. an email. No one, if you send the whole company an email, no one is going to read it. Right. And <laughs> if you put it in a required thing that they have to do for their job, they'll at least do something. They might not do the right thing or be thoughtful about it, but I can see why that happens. Yeah. I guess we spent a long time defending this. It sounds like this is the fine, this is the right answer. Just more process. Change it up to keep yourself on your toes. What, you want to die? Come on. <laughs> Add more process. It's the only direction. I mean, I mean, you have to visualize, or, or not visualize, you have to make apparent the cost somehow. Changing all the time makes sense in some ways. Maybe they're being agile with their heavyweight process and trying to iterate on it and make it work better. But there is still a cost and... It's like supporting an API in production. You can't just change all your yeah. contracts all the time just because you have a new idea. Like there's there's work that goes along with changing it and maybe that's not being recognized. Yeah. And the other side of this coin that we haven't discussed too much is um, there can be real benefits here. Like if you don't have a strong re- repeatable process for deploying your software, you know, whether it's automated or manual, you are going to suffer, right? Like it's going to suck for you. So <laughs> you just every time try and do it fresh, a brand new way. <laughs> I'm going to forget everything I've learned so far. <laughs> um, so there is benefit that comes from this. And, and also it's nice as an engineer to not have to remake decisions all the time. You know, it's like, well, what? But brand- they have to they have to remake them because it changes all the time. <laughs> I, I Sorry, I didn't mean I meant in the face of a stable process. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah. I kind of sorry. I kind of changed the subject on you.
You switched it to an easier question and answered that one. <laughs> Classic interview technique. <laughs> Yoink. <laughs> I think I think if you can demonstrate the cost of it somehow. If it's around deploys, track how long your deploys take mm-hmm. and and record that regularly and then you can show, hey, every deploy added 4 hours to the time it took because of either the process is convoluted or it changed so we had to go learn it and and adjust things there's i think there is sometimes some recognition of yeah this will slow things down but it's worth it and if 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 you can provide more information about how worth it it is then that might be uh, an influence to be able to cut aside some of that process i mean one of the things that when i was starting out in the industry was absolutely a point of debate and has completely flipped in terms of process acceptance by engineers is the idea of code review. When I started out, like I never worked for a company that had a code review process for probably eight or nine years. Um, it, I, none of my friends did either. Like we just push our code and, you know, forward looking teams would send out an email automated every time a commit went into the revision control system so people could read it after the fact. But largely, there was no review process. And, and I was staunchly against the review process. You know, I, th- I thought it was a sign of mistrust and, you know, only incompetent engineers <laughs> need their code reviewed. Mm-hmm. And my view on that has completely flipped 180 uh, about four or five years ago. Um, and now uh, it feels like the, that's the de facto standard, right? Like everyone who works on GitHub, they use pull requests. It's very common for teams to use GitHub and do pull requests and review their code that way. In fact, I think it would be hard to find a team of any you know size or tenure that doesn't do code reviews. And that's a process. That's really interesting. It makes sense that it's a process, but I hadn't considered, I only consider process to be things I don't like. <laughs> Other <laughs> things feel like culture. Um, process to me is a thing that you have to deliberately kind of think about and follow. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I can, I mean, yeah, code review definitely is a process, but it, it feels kind of ingrained in the way we work. Yeah, which happens because it doesn't change all the time. <laughs> we do the same thing with code review. Um, yeah, I think you have to you have to bubble up the cost of it a little bit. Start making some noise about that, and and I think one of two things will happen: either people recognize, oh, this is harmful, and this slows down this person's productivity and probably other people's productivity as well, or they might say the cost is worth it, and here's why, and you might get a better understanding of the reasons behind it. I mean, the question asker mentions strange errors and permissions things, and some of that just seems broken. I don't think anyone's yeah. like, you know, it'd be good permission errors. <laughs> That's what we need to make the team more effective. So so that feels like a pretty, you, you could pretty much just yell and scream about that, and that should only go in one direction. But but other stuff in terms of just broad process and changes, may, maybe they have a really good reason why it changes all the time, and it's worth slowing down productivity. But they probably don't. And it's probably helpful <laughs> to hear that feedback. <laughs> Let's answer the final question here, which is, do managers really need these crazy processes or am I just a naive engineer who doesn't really understand the value? It depends on what business book you read. You need those <laughs> processes. <laughs> because someone with a PhD said they're good. <laughs> I would say if your manager doesn't have detailed process to collect data on you and what you do, how are they going to know when they can lay you off? <laughs> Like, come on. <laughs> I My impression is there's generally a lot more sources of information and sources of chaos as a manager than as an individual contributor. That's what I felt like on both sides. Um, and 
process for me is a way to calm and provide order to that chaos. Yeah, so so maybe maybe this is the manager optimizing for their own productivity or their own personal information flow and it's harming the team. It feels like there's there's got to be a balance where you you have some way to know what's going on and share information with the right people and give direction without slowing things down. Mm-hmm. But I think this is kind of tongue in cheek, but I think management involves some kind of process or process is a tool for management. Um, in a slightly different way than it is as an individual contributor. Individual contributors still have processes though, right? Like, I don't know, some teams do unit tests and often that's not decreed from on high. Management has not said you must do unit tests, but like the developers figure out, hey, we want to do tests. And then uh, they they create some process around it. Yep. So maybe, that's my answer. Yeah, maybe. I think there are so many different broken and non-broken processes out there that you'd have to really dive into the details to know whether you're just being naive or not. And some of this comes with time as you experience, as you gain your own scar tissue and you can then identify processes that you think would have prevented those wounds in the first place uh, based on your own observations and your own history. Yeah. All right. Have we answered the question? I think so, more or less. Okay. Good luck. Add a final step to the process, which is audit the process every time you go through it. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. All right, good luck. And uh, Dave, do you want to read our next question? I will. It says, uh, oh, this comes from an anonymous listener. It says, just wanted to preface by saying that I absolutely love your your podcast. It's definitely helped me mold into a better developer and team player. My company is having a tough time raising our next round. In light of this, I am actively looking for my next position. Financial stability and growth is my biggest concern as I am planning to get married, buy our own place, and have kids. My goal is to interview at multiple companies and get competing offers. From a hiring perspective, I can definitely see how companies would see this in a negative light. How do I navigate salary negotiation so that I can get the best deal financially without being stereotyped? Stereotyped as what? Like just someone that wants, that values money a lot? I don't really understand the stereotype <laughs> thing. Maybe they mean getting a bad, giving a, getting a bad reputation or something. Maybe. I think, I think there's a pervasive idea that you should be an engineering for the love of engineering and not because you want to make more money. Mm, Maybe okay. that's the stereotype. That makes sense. Or maybe they're just worried about getting known as becoming known as someone who like, I don't know, is really greedy or something. Good news. There's a lot of money in software right now. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a good place. It's a pretty solid place to be if you're looking to earn more money. Have you ever done this, this kind of job search where, where you're looking for a job and you're trying to just, it's like you have, it sounds like they have this fixed time window basically mm-hmm. before their company expires <laughs> they're like i gotta find a job i want the one that pays the most money how do i compare and contrast them all so i've never been in i've never been in a situation where i was like definitely going well let's see yeah i've just never been in a, a situation where i actually had multiple companies that i could shop between at the same time yeah i i had this situation last well not the exact same but i was i was comparing between multiple companies last time i was doing a job search and I had some flexibility because I still had a job. I hadn't yet quit my current job, a rarity for me. And so it did offer some opportunity to compare and contrast offers. What did I do? I think I, I kind of like told a few people about, here's what this other company offered. Can you match it? And sometimes they did and sometimes they didn't. Did you like have the offer still in hand, not expired? I don't know. Some of them were verbal. Some of them were written. Yeah. I mean, like the ideal situation is you go interview at, say, three companies 
You get three offers in your hand at once. You look at them and then you go back to the three companies and try to get them to go up based on what the other companies gave you. Yep. Right. But like it never works out that cleanly, right? Because some companies take longer to get their interviews scheduled and to get the written offer back to you. Right. And then sometimes like they just, you know, maybe just aren't even hiring at the time you want to apply. Or maybe they have like a really narrow window where they say, you got to get back to us in three days or we're going to give this job to someone else, you know? So like I've never had it line up where I could have more than one offer in my hand at the same time and be able to compare them at that time. I don't think I did it on purpose, but it did kind of happen that way for me. I don't think I got stereotyped. I don't know. I guess I haven't talked too much to the people I didn't end up working for. Maybe they have a big bullseye with my face on it in their office. (laughs) (laughs) I agree that it can be hard logistically. Like you said, Dave, Uh, I, I basically had to tell one of the companies hang on for a little bit. <laughs> I'm still interviewing in, at other places. I need two and more weeks to tell you no. <laughs> yeah. Well, you say that tongue in cheek, but that's basically what I said. I said, I'll get back to you in, in a couple of weeks because I'm considering other offers. And that was a position. I feel like I could say that because I felt like either they would wait or if they didn't wait, then that was a signal that I didn't, want to work there enough or they didn't want me enough like mm-hmm. I, I, w- I was willing to walk away from that from from some of them basically which made it easier to say hey let me let me compare um if there was a job offer that i absolutely did not want to lose but i just wanted to see if they would bump up the salary i think i would have been a little more conservative about it and and more sensitive to um, getting back to them in a timeline or not pushing back or not wanting to seem like a diva yeah definitely and i i do you think you look like a diva because i doubt it I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. And I'll tell you why. You and I have both been on the other side of this table where we have extended offers to people and they've come back to us and said, either I need more money or I need more time or I've got multiple offers. And for me, every time that's happened, the only thought I've had was, what am I going to need to do to get this candidate to say yes to me? I've never thought, how dare this candidate? (laughs) They're talking to other companies? (laughs) I thought we had a thing. (laughs) <laughs> it's i thought there was an agreement that we would only be interviewing you and you would only interview with us yeah i thought we were exclusive yeah um what i what i've seen in the past what i've felt in the past is when candidates come to me and they really have their stuff together and they seem to have multiple offers or multiple companies they're talking to every time i think man i wish i was that put together <laughs> <laughs> i can so i have I have felt I'm glad that they told me, right? It it makes it easier for me to understand what their motivations are and where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. There's also some elements of, of it's dumb, but it in some ways validates the fact that I want to hire this person when they're like, look at all these other people that want to hire me. It, there's just some lizard brain part of me that's like, somebody else wants to hire me. You want to even more now, right? Like, yeah, I don't know yeah. that it... I don't know. I don't know that it hurts you. And I have been on the other side of negotiations where someone has tried and I've just said no. And I wasn't mad at them. Like, I don't know. We just don't have enough money or can't make that work. And we want you to come here at this amount and hope it works out. Yeah. But I don't think I've ever felt like leaving that, that, that someone has, I don't know, ruined their reputation no, me in some no. way. No, me neither. Never. In fact, I'll give you a little more evidence for this, that it's okay, which is there was a time when I, uh, back a while back, interviewed at Google. 
And during the very long interview process, every time I talked to the recruiter on the phone, which is probably four or five times, she said to me, if you're interviewing at any other company, please let me know because we will expedite the process to make sure that um, it doesn't cost us this opportunity. And they weren't just saying, let me know because we want to label you as a sleazebag stereotype. Yeah. You know? <laughs> please let me know so we can put this scarlet letter on your application. <laughs> but they said, let me know so we can expedite your interview process. Um, and I think that is the more common response from companies. There's probably some weirdo out there who's like, what? You interviewed somewhere else? Well, we're done here. It means but, you don't want it enough. Yeah. You're a, you're a mercenary. Yeah, but it turns out I am. I exchange my time for money. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so I, I really think you're safe. I think it's fine to, to play companies off of each other. You don't want to be a total jerk about it and be like, well, this company offered me more. But I think you can do it in a professional, courteous way, if for no other reason, just to let them uh, ask them to let you wait a little longer to get all the information together. That's a great point. I don't think the act itself is is negative. But I think you could do it in a way that would piss people off. I don't know if I can articulate what that way would be, but don't do that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think you can just be mature about it. Just say, here's what uh, this other company offered me. I'd, I'd, or, or you can say, I have a competing offer. I would, I would love to get this from you to make your offer more compelling. Or yeah. I don't know. You probably have to butter them up a little bit too and say, I mean... You, you should be talking to them because you would like to work there, not because you hope they bump the number up so that you can use that number to go get more money somewhere else. That would kind of be a jerk thing to do. But. Yeah. So, so you should be able to say, honestly, like, if you do this, it would make me want to accept instead of like, yeah. can you give me this much? Okay, I'll be back in another cycle <laughs> of negotiation. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I think you're safe. I think... Uh, Wanting financial stabi stability is fine. I think wanting to work in order to earn money and even wanting to work in order to earn more money is fine. <laughs> and you're doing it at the right time. It's way easier to do it right now than after you join. So that's true. <laughs> you're, doing, you're doing great. Yeah. Timing is good. All right. Well, question answered. Question answered. Where can people go if they want to ask a question? If they want to ask a question, they can go to softskills.audio and click ask a question, fill out our Google form, send us your questions. We will answer them. Thank you so much to people who send them in. Thank you to people who are listening. Thank you to people sending us haikus, oh, sending yeah. us money. I think that's all the stuff people send us. Haikus, money, <laughs> questions. Yes, that's our currency here. So far. <laughs> we could build a free-to-play mobile game where all those tie into money in several indirect layers. They can, they can all be converted to gems. You can buy <laughs> gems for money, which you then redeem once a day for haikus. Yes. <laughs> and haikus give you levels. <laughs> Perfect. Um, okay. Well, we got some design work to do. We'll get to that. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next week.